Um, so, this week's Parsha is Parsha Vayigash. Parsha Vayigash, we discussed last week that, that the whole story with, with Yosef and, and, and the brothers, Yosef was the, the viceroy to the, to the to power to the king of Mitzrayim. And he, uh, the brothers didn't know this. He has. He wanted to take Binyamin. He didn't. He was making them a lot of a, a lot of tsaras. He was making a lot of problems. And the par, the parasha last week ends very abruptly in the middle of the. Well, the story continues. The parasha cuts off right in the middle of the story, uh, and very suspenseful. I'm sure everyone took a peek at this week to see how the story ended. Probably most of us remember the story from last year, so perhaps we didn't take a peek. And anyways, to go through the synopsis of what the parasha goes through, the parasha goes through all the back and forth of this, this, um, this uh, debate, fight, um, back and forth between Yehuda, which was one of the brothers, the, one of the Shvatim that took Achrayas for making sure Benjamin came back, and, and Yosef, which was, the, the, we'll call him the king, the second to the king, and it goes back and forth, and uh, the end, the Magistrate talks about all the different ideas that Yehuda and the Shvatim were basically ready to wage war against, against Mitzrayim, which is a concept we don't necessarily understand. The 10-11 Shvatim waging war against the country, the Kayach, the power of the Kedusha, Versus the power of the tuma, the the good, the what, what we would call nowadays the good side, the against the dark side, um, in in today's terminology, and uh, there, there's a lot of deep, uh, a lot of depth here, which I'm not going to go into. There's plenty of uh, midrashim to talk to discuss this, but there's a lot to this. It's not just a, a physical back and forth. We're not going to get there, but you should know that there's much, there's much, uh, there's plenty of discussion on this. Anyways, at the end of the thing, Yosef says the famous words, "Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. Haida v'chayet, my father is Yaakov Stolai." We'll get more into this later. Anyways, he sends the brothers back to Mitzrayim. Back, I'm sorry, back to Eretz Yisrael to. Yaakov to, to tell Yaakov the, that his that, that, that he's that Joseph is still alive, his long lost son is back, he's still alive, and to come to Mitzrayim. There was a hunger in the world, and Mitzrayim had food. Yosef was in charge. Come to Mitzrayim. Okay, he sent Eglarufa Agalis. Agalis are wagons. They reference Eglarufa, which is the 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 sugya. It's a it's a chapter in the Torah that discusses a whole, a whole random chapter, nothing to do with anything per se, but that was the last um, thing, the last sugya, the last chapter that Yosef and Yaakov learned. How many years before? Many years ago, 22 years before, and that was the symbol, the, sim, the simon, the symbol that Yosef was a true Yosef, and in fact, the Medrash, the Pasuk tells us actually, but the Medrash goes into depth to tell us 
that Yosef, Yaakov did not believe that Yosef was still alive until he was told this thing that he told, he was showed, look, see those wagons? And then he understood the symbolism and then he realized that Yosef was still alive. And that this was indeed the true Yosef. And uh, apparently there were many imposters that wanted to get involved in the in the family of, of, of the, the holy uh, family of Yaakov, and they had a lost brother, a lot of people. Who, who told Yaakov that nothing? So, who told Yaakov, the Mepharshim tells us, that it was actually Sarah, Sarah Bas Asher, which was Yaakov's granddaughter, and she was very musical, and she played the musical instrument. This is a famous concept. I should have mentioned it. Thank you for bringing it up. That she uh, played a musical instrument, I believe it was a violin or, or some other instrument, to, and she like more like like hummed or sang a song, the tune. Ani, um, 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 Yosef, uh, what's Lashon Tzavos again? Yosef, Yosef is still alive. And why? What's the importance of that? It shouldn't be a shock to Yaakov, and Yaakov should have a heart attack or something. So it was a slow process until he finally clicked in his own mind. So that's, that's a very nice uh, thing to know. Thank you for pointing that. And anyway, to make a long story short, he, uh, he, uh, they, they, they traveled to Mitzrayim. Yaakov did not want to go to Mitzrayim. He knew that when you go to Mitzrayim, there's going to be a gullus Mitzrayim. They're going to become slaves, and, and he didn't want that to happen. Hashem comes to Yaakov in a nevuah and tells Yaakov, this is for the good of Kali Yisrael, for the benefit of Kali Yisrael. Kali Yisrael is going to go through a terrible galas indeed, but then they will come out of the galas, and then we will, make, we will have a Matan Torah, we will have, I will give them the Torah, and they will become a nation of Israel, which will only happen, which can only happen through the Shibur, through the galas, through the, the pain, which is the Pesach, um, Topics which we'll hopefully get to when the parishes come up eventually in two, three weeks, two, three, four weeks. And uh, the um, oh, so before Yaakov, interestingly, before Yaakov goes to Mitzrayim, Pasuk tells us this is Pasuk of Gemel. If anyone wants to look at um, Pasuk, I don't know there. It's somewhere over here. He tells Yehuda. Yehuda, go to Mitzrayim first before us, and then we will come. We will come. We will come. Right. So basically, he says Yehuda. I'm just trying to find the words in the pasuk. He tells him. I'll read you the words. He says. He says Yehuda shalchei lefanai al Yosef lohayvay lefan of Gaishna vayavayu eretz Gaishna. Yehuda go travel and 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 make a make a yeshiva in in Gaishin. Make a base of Talmud. It says, go to Yosef and and make a base of Talmud. Interesting to know what was the importance of making a base of Talmud. A base of Talmud means literally a yeshiva, a base of Talmud, a house of of studying. And what is the the importance? What is the what is going on over here? Why is it so important that he made a he sent him to go and make a yeshiva. Here, it's in Pasuk Mem, Parak Mem Vav, Pasuk Chav Tet. 
So the and Rashi says over here, Pasuk of test. Rashi says, someone says the Mefarshim say. Um, I'm sorry, Pasuk of Ches. I'm sorry. Um, that they should uh, that they should the uh, of Rashi says the second like Beit Hatamah, the creator Yeshiva. Okay, creating a yeshiva. So what's the, the big uh, idea of creating a yeshiva? We see from here a very interesting idea that when you someone goes to settle in a foreign land, in a foreign city with no Jews and no Torah, the first thing, the most important thing to settle is, is to create a yeshiva, have a place to learn, to have a makam Torah. It could be a yeshiva, it could be a kailal, whatever it is, but it could be a, a shul even perhaps, where the shul is based and focused on learning Torah and not necessarily... And just the, the idea that we see that the first thing that they did before they opened up a pizza shop and before they opened up a sushi store, the first thing that they did was they set up a yeshiva. Okay? So uh, this is just... That wasn't my, not supposed to be my main point, but I would be remiss if I don't, if I don't mention this, right? You see very clear in today's day and age, I don't. We don't have to say this. We just look around. We don't have to have a speech about this, and look around at all the little hamlets, little cities in America from uh, yesteryear, from from when uh, a lot of you were were children, and there were dozens, perhaps hundreds of little towns with many Jews who were from religious Jews, and uh, probably ninety percent of them don't exist anymore. And then, and if you go around and you knock off on your list, all the cities that still exist and thrive today, every single one, I, without doing any uh, official uh, census, but I, if you go and do it, look around, presumably almost every single one has a yeshiva or had a yeshiva, a kailo, a makam tayra, a stronghold of tayra, right? And uh, just to throw in St. Louis, right? St. Louis, of course, I, I'm new here, but we know that, that St. Louis is, is uh, famous for being a makam tayra, a place where 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 we, we where the 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 there there were Gedalim, the Rabbanim and then the laymen of the city all were very, very uh studious and focused on learning Tara. And that's the reason why uh, St. Louis is a thriving Jewish community today. Unlike unlike so many other communities who historically fifty, sixty, eighty years ago were maybe give or take the same size really don't exist nowadays. Okay, moving Rabbi, on. Um, yep. Uh, quick question, uh, if you could. Uh, what would a yeshiva look like back then since the Torah wasn't given? What, what would it consist of? It's a, it's a very good question. It's a very good question, because in reality, you could ask that even back on what we were famously known as yeshiva Shem Beva, right? And that was the famous yeshiva, right? So the, the truth is that the Torah really existed, it's, it's a very hard content, and I, I, it's a very long, detailed discussion. It deserves a full seminar, so I'm not going to get into details, but to put it very simple, we know that the, the, the Torah is really the Mepharshim and Chazal tell us the Torah was the blueprint that Hashem used to create the world, right? We think sometimes the world was created, and then Hashem gave us a Torah. The reality is the Torah existed before the world was created. Do we have a complete understanding I for sure don't have a complete understanding of what this means. Perhaps people who are significantly higher maybe have a little bit of a better understanding of what existed before the world. But just to take it in a very simple 
level, the the Hashem is eternal, right? And the Torah is eternal. And the world is not. The world is very finite, very limited, right? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu hishtakled by Raiz, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, looked into the Torah, Raiz in the Torah, the Ubar Alman created the world, right? So the world was created by the Torah. The Torah existed always, right? Now, the Torah, it's very hard to understand. The, the, the words of the Torah perhaps were only written after, perhaps were only written by Mamad Sinai. Perhaps they were in a more of a spiritual world and they always existed in Shemayim, but they weren't in this world in a physical form um, until the, the Masen Torah, until the Torah was given to us. But the Torah always existed. And the mitzvahs themselves also always existed. And we know that the others, the, the Ava Mitzvah Yaakov, they also, they kept all of the mitzvahs. Besides for Bismillah, actually, which is a whole different discussion, because Bismillah, Avraham Avinu only did when he was 99, right? But he should have done it when he was, whatever, 13, 7, 8 years old, right? So that he didn't do until Hashem commanded him to do it. He never did Bismillah until Hashem commanded it. And the reason is over there is a whole different story. The reason over there is because in order to have a bris, in order to have a covenant, you need to have two sides. I have to have a bris, I have to have a covenant between me and you. If I just decide to make a bris between me and no one, so there's no bris, there's no covenant, right? That's a different discussion. But the, technically, the Torah existed. They kept Shabbos, they kept Pesach, and there's a, there's, there's, this is, it goes on and on. Now, if you can discuss this, if it interests everyone, it has nothing to do with this expression, but it is very exciting. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a bottomless uh, kosher. The laws of kosher, everything existed. The laws of kosher, we find that, that, that when Yitzchak and, um, asked uh, them to, to ask Esau, and, and then with the whole story with the brachas, they, they slaughtered animals. And Esau indeed was so, such a, a skilled hunter with a bow and arrow, he was actually able to shoot a bird with an arrow, the manager tells us, and get a perfect shita in the air with his arrow. That was how skilled of a hunter he was. And that's one of the ways that that's one of the reasons in the Pasuk that Esau um, was so beloved by Yaakov was that he was such a talented hunter. But, so even lots of cultures, everything did exist. Now, they weren't commanded to do it, so they only did it on a voluntary basis, so to speak. There's a whole discussion of how they were able to keep all the Yemen Taivim, happened to keep Pesach before the Jews were redeemed from its right. Not our, not, not our topic. But everything did exist. Okay? This is really not our topic, but I think pretty much, yeah, the Torah definitely existed. So they studied all the laws. They studied all the back and forth, all the ideas of... of, of and actually, in fact, I just want to tell you something, right? Just because... Uh, uh, why not? The, the Medrash tells us that Ramavinu had a, wrote a Mesechus of Vaidazara. Okay? Our Mesechus of Vaidazara is, is a, a pen proxim long, let's say. Avramavinu Mesechus of Vaidazara was the, the tractate of idol worship, was 400 prokim long. 400 chapters in it. Okay? Fascinating, no? We don't have this Mesechus of Vaidazara. Where it went, I have no idea. But, why? Why did Avraham Avinu have 400 tractates of Avodah Because Avodah was was the biggest and the main problem in those days, and it was so strong, so powerful, that he wrote 400 different pieces, different chapters, to go and discuss all the ins and outs of the Torah view of all these different Avodah 
So, in fact, in some ways, this is not necessarily true, what I'm saying. I'm just trying to bring out a point. In some ways, they had a terror that was a terror that was bigger and greater than what we have. Right? It's not necessarily true because that terror still exists somewhere. We just don't have it physically in front of us. But in the front. Okay? So let's, let's move on. That's what the yeshiva is. Anyways, so they get to the Mitzrayim. They're singing. They meet Yosef. Another interesting idea. They meet Yosef. Yosef meets Yaakov. Okay? So the Pasuk calls us. This is in Pasuk Chav Tez. So it says Pasuk Chav Tez. It's literally two seconds later. Perak Menvav Pasuk Chav Tez. He actually settled in, in his own horse, didn't have his servants to it. He was so zealous and he wanted to see his father. He runs, um, doesn't run, he actually goes on the horse to his father. And he uh, goes and, and by Yipal al he falls upon his father's shoulders, upon his neck, and he, and he, and he cries. Okay? But the Pasuk says, Vayera Elav. Vayera Elav. I will read the words in the article. He appeared before him. Right? When I say, and I saw my father, he saw his father, I should say. Vayaloi, he saw him. He appeared before him. Very cryptic words, right? Okay. The Rashi tells us that why did Yaakov not fall upon Yosef's shoulders. Right as Rashi does. Ava Yaakov, Yaakov, Yaakov did not fall on Yosef's shoulders. Nor did he kiss him. I'm Rabbi Seinu, Shahaya Kireyas Shema. He was saying Shema. Okay? This is one of the strangest uh, stories. First of all, if it was, I'll just say it like this. The Mepharshim asked this. It's not my own question. It's a famous question. If it was time to say Shema, so why was Yosef not saying Shema? Okay? And if it wasn't time to say Shema, what was Yaakov doing to say Shema? He didn't see his father, his son, for 22 years. All of a sudden he comes and hugs him. Middle of saying Shema. I'm sorry, give me a minute, right? Just like, okay. So he's, he's, if, he's, if he's in the middle of saying Shema, and that's what he's supposed to do. Okay, it's understandable. He was a very holy level, and he suppressed himself, and he said Shema, and he didn't give him a hug, and he didn't cry. Well, 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 right? Either you're supposed to say Shema, Yosef should have been saying Shema, or not, right? That's the idea. So this is a, not also, again, not something that I wanted to discuss in depth, but it's just a, another thing that I would be remiss if I didn't discuss it. It's a very, very cryptic, very strange story. So I, I heard a, a beautiful var. I can't remember who it is. I heard it from my rabbi, but I don't remember who he said it, the name of. And he said as follows: What's Kriyishma? Kriyishma is Kabbalah or Machshemayim. Kriyishma is is being Makabal, is accepting the yoke of heaven. What's accepting the yoke of heaven is is accepting the fact that Hashem is mevatal daisay mifnedas amakam to be mevatal to to take my own will and suppress it for the will of Hashem. So I take my own wants, my own rattans, my own will, and I say, I want to do this, but I know that Hashem wants me to do that, so I will do what Hashem wants. That's what Kabbalah is. I understand that I'm going to do something for Hashem. 
I'm going to do something I do want, not want to do, or I'm going to suppress something I do want to do for Hashem. That's what Kabbalah's Omar Shemayim is. In essence, is what Kriya Shema is. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alakein, Hashem Achad, is saying, Hashem, you are my God. And that is really what it is. That is accepting and acknowledging that I'm going to, I'm going to go and say that I have the yoke of Hashem upon me, and I will do something that He wants over something I want. Okay? So what does that have to do with us? So the Medrash tells us that Yaakov was worried. Okay? We, Yosef um, ended up um, uh, um, putting those worries aside. He ended up telling Yaakov that he was actually 100% righteous. But at this point, Yaakov was worried that Yosef, Yosef was, was famous, that he was a very handsome-looking man. And Yaakov was worried that Yosef um, um, was a... Uh, um, was uh, had uh, issues with, with women, the other women in Mitzrayim. And Yaakov felt, this is the Madrash, Yaakov felt that for whatever reason, he was, his son was possibly in a defiled state, and he wasn't allowed to kiss his son. Okay? Yaakov Zavinu did not actually not want to kiss his son. Rather, he yearned, he wanted so badly to kiss his son, Rather, he was nervous that his son was uh, compromised spiritually, so to speak. <clears throat> so therefore, he did not, he did not um, kiss his son. Why? Because in his first spiritual, in his, the spiritual level, he had to control himself, and he held himself back. He controlled himself for what the Karish Baruch Hu, on his level, what he felt that Karish Baruch Hu wanted him to do. Okay? What about Yosef? Yosef, the flip side, Yosef, what did we say? Yes, before it says, Vayera Elav. Vayera Elav. And he appeared before him. What does that mean? Every time I, see, we, I greet them, or you greet me, we see each other, right? So I see you, see me, right? Yosef, when he saw his father, he had a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim in front of him. Right? He had, first of all, he missed his father. He didn't see his father for 22 years. And that was so emotional for him. But he knew that his father didn't see him either for 22 years. So in his head, what did he do? The Pesach is alluding to this idea. By Yera, a love, he appeared before his father. He was mevatel his das. He controlled his own, so to speak, himself of, a, of seeing his father, of having a reaction of giving his father a hug. And he appeared before his father in his, in his head. He had kavana. He had intention that his father should see him. And he was mavat on his dot. He controlled his own rutten. He controlled his own, uh, his, own, uh, uh, his own yearning, his own want, in order to allow his father to see him, so to speak. Obviously, physically, they saw each other perhaps at the same time. But in his head, the kavana, the intention that his father would see him, so that he allowed that the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim overpowered his yearning, his just craving and wanting to see his father. That is the same exact idea. That is the exact idea. The mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim overpowered his own wanting and his own yearning to see his father and to give us his own uh, emotion. Now we can understand, perhaps this is not the real Pashat Shab, this is not the literal definition of the word, but at least as a Jewish. You can understand now, perhaps, 
they weren't necessarily actually saying Krishna the words of Krishna, rather they were doing what Krishna is in essence, which is Kabbalah Allah Shramayan. They were both doing the same thing. Yaakov had to control himself for the ultimate Hashem's ultimate purpose to control himself not to give Yosef a kiss, which is Kabbalah Allah Shramayan, which is really what Shema alludes to. And Yosef was doing the same thing. Yosef was also doing Kabbalah Allah Shramayan. Yosef was also controlling himself for the higher purpose of, of what Hashem wanted. So they weren't necessarily actually, they weren't necessarily actually um, saying Shema, but perhaps they were actually doing what Shema really is, which is being Kabbalah Allah Shramayan. I think it's such a beautiful idea. I had to say it over. Even, okay. What do you want to say? Who did Yosef marry? Yosef married in last week's version. He discussed it last week, I believe, but if not, he married last week and he had two children, Menashe and Ephraim. He had two children last week already, yes. Last week. Okay? Anyways, um, I, I don't believe... That's basically the end of the parasha, and we discussed a lot already, but it's getting late. I wanted to discuss a few things um, in depth. So there's a, there's a few ideas. The, the first and, and most famous idea from this week's parasha, I believe, is when, yeah, when the brothers uh, meet, um, when, when, Yosef tells the brothers, "Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, and my father is still alive." Okay, so on face value, um, seems like a very uh, reasonable question. He didn't see his father for twenty-two years, and my father still alive, right? Right. The the real question with this is very simple, right? If we go through the whole story of what Yehuda is telling Yosef, telling him, I need Benjamin back. Why do we need Benjamin back? Why do we need our son back? Because my father lost his other son, Yosef, and he can't lose his other son. He's going to break his heart, and he can't lose his other son, and it's going to mean so much to him, and it's terrible, and the whole thing. Throughout the whole story, it's very clear that the, the Taina, the the the... the he said again, the, the sales pitch, so to speak, was that you're going to break my father's heart if you don't give back Benjamin. Clearly, he was still alive, right? He went back to the father. The father told them that they should, that they should, they should make sure Benjamin made him promise the whole thing, right? Yaakov was still alive in the whole story, right? So the very, very, very simple shot can be, perhaps, that Yosef was worried that Yehuda was lying just to get Benjamin back, perhaps. It can be a very, very uh, simple, simple level of chat. But uh, that, that itself is very, uh, um, not so, not so, uh, not so it, it, it's possible, but it's, it's a little, little bit of a, a little bit of a stretch. So the measures tells us something very interesting. The measures tells us like this. Okay? We, we learned from this Pazik. Um, what was the person on the day of judgment? What was the person from the day of rebuke? Right? Right? If Yosef tells his brothers, Yosef was one of the younger brothers, tells a mere mortal, tells his brothers. I am Yosef, and father is still alive, and the brothers go and they go numb. And they go, they didn't, they couldn't answer him. It says in the Pasuk, I, 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 I'm not sure if I actually said it or not. If I didn't, I'm sorry, I'll read it to you inside. It says in the Pasuk, 
es, 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 pasak, um, this is in pasak, alright, The brothers could not answer him. They were so embarrassed. They're so embarrassed. This is their brother that they sold to Mitzrayim. They're so embarrassed they couldn't answer him. Then, next to the Medrash, the Gemara says, From this we see, what was the person on the day of, of, of judgment? What was the person on the day of rebuke? Question is, if you, if there are many questions on this. First of all, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm missing a few things. I'm sorry, this is not clear. Okay? So, Just like Madach Yasef, Madach Yasef, Yasef was a mere mortal, and he tells, and he tells uh, the brothers, and they're so embarrassed, they don't know how to answer. And we go up to Shemayim, we go up to the heavens, after 120, Hashem, who is the Malach Malach, who is the King of all kings, will tell us all the things that we did wrong. What was that? How embarrassed and how we're not going to have anything to say. Okay? That's what the measure says, which is a very scary thought. Obviously, um, they discuss this. Um, and uh, there, there's a few questions in there. First question is, um, what what is the rebuke, and what is the tichacha that Yosef gave the shvatim to get the brothers? He didn't tell them anything. They were embarrassed because he showed them the truth that he was Yosef, and they told him. But what he he didn't give them any rebuke. He didn't tell them anything. He just said I'm Yosef. They understood in their own head. He didn't say anything, right? Okay. They were shocked. 100% they were shocked. But what was the... He didn't give them any rebuke. Right? There was no rebuke there, right? Okay? So then, another piece of... The other thing is, what's the difference between Yem and Din? The day of judgment and Yem and Techacha. And the day of... Uh, of rebuke. Judgment and rebuke. The measure the, the specifically says, Ayla Yem and Din, Ayla Yem and Techacha. Two separate things. What's the difference? Okay? So, the Balai Musar, the, the great... The Musar great... They, 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 they discuss this, and many of them discuss this, but I'm just going to discuss what the, the, the Beis HaLevi, which was the, one of the leaders of the, of the, of the, of the Ashkenazic, of the, the Lithuanian Jewry, whoever, Brisk, um, one of the, 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 not the forefathers, the, 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 the original, uh, people, uh, the original Rabbanim of the, of the Brisker dynasty, what we would call it nowadays. And he says that um, when you say, when, when, when we read the Pasuk, the first literal way we understand it is, he's telling them, I am Yosef, I am your brother, and he's like testifying them, I'm your brother, I'm, don't worry about me. But if you think about it in, 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 in depth, really it's, it's on the contrary, really it's the opposite. Really, he's telling them, I'm your brother, that you sold him in Triumph. Okay? So not only is this king who was ready to, to, to like, tell them and, and who knows what to them, but I also have a grudge against you, and I also have 
uh, uh, I also have, uh, uh, what do you call it again? Uh, I have, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Scorta right? He's told a me. Grudge. And then, a grudge, right? I have a Scorta saddle against you, right? We have, we have a, we got, we got, a, we got a mark on all you guys' heads, right? You got it, right? I, I want, right? Presumably, he would want to take revenge, right? So, what, what the basic lady tells us, he says like this, that what Yosef was telling them was that you're giving me this whole spiel of Yaman. If you don't send Yaman back to my father, he's going to die, right? And you're so worried about your father, you're so worried about Yaakov. What happened? What happened when you sold me? Why weren't you so worried about Yaakov? When you sold me, right? You sold me 22 years ago, and all, and then it wasn't such a big deal. Now all of a sudden you're going and you're tripping. And thinking, why? You don't really care about Yaakov, or to a certain extent, Yaakov himself um, made you promise whatever it was, and you gave your life away, your Elam Haba, whatever it is. You don't really care. You're giving me this whole spiel, this whole svar. What happened when you sold me? I need Yosef. I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? Is your father still alive when you told me? What happened? Right? So, when you show someone from his own argument that he is a, a, a farce, that he's, he is a, proven to be wrong from his own argument, that itself is the most, um, how do you say it? The most, the strongest, um, the strongest argument you can ever make. Right? And you don't have to say anything. All you have to say is take the person, put himself in front of a mirror, and say, see, you're, you're a walking, talking contradiction. How can you do this? Okay? That's what the base of Amy says. Okay? And we see from here, Agav, we see from here, parenthetically, that the word techacha, the word rebuke, has nothing to mean, has nothing to do with giving someone a musha shmuz. You don't have to scream at someone or give him a whole long shmuz in order to give him rebuke. Rebuke means showing someone the truth. Showing someone where the person erred, where the person made a mistake, makes a mistake, where the person is. That is the definition of the, of the word techacha. The word rebuke in English, I don't know what the definition is. That's the literal loose translation of the word techacha. Doesn't it have to be given but with Hebrew, love? Pardon me? Doesn't it have to be given with love? A rebuke? So, we, we do say that rebuke has to be given with love. This is even, I believe it's perhaps an even higher level, which means that if a lot of times when we give someone a rebuke, why do we have to give it with love? Because as soon as you give someone a rebuke, all the defense mechanisms, a big wall of armor, comes up, blocks everything out, and you can't handle this, right? Because no one, it's ego. No one wants to listen to rebuke. Here, it's not only with love. It's much more than that. It's all, all you do is you show someone... And then in their own head, they click. Wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. I don't make any sense. Ah, now I understand. I don't make any sense. You show someone in his own actions how he contradicted himself. Therefore, you don't have to tell him you did this wrong, you did that wrong. You told him, see this, see that? Does that make sense? And then they go, hey, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, and they click, 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 right? That's the strongest with a rebuke, okay? So what does that have to do with when you go to Shemayim? And what does that have to do with the din and Teichacha? So when we go up to Shemayim, Hashem is going to show us 
all the things that we did in this world. And he's going to say, what happened to this? Why didn't you give money to stock over here? This guy knocked and you know, they didn't name them. Why didn't you go learn terror? All the, whatever it is, right? Why didn't you get tzedakah? Why didn't you do chesed? And you're going to say, we're going to say, we're all going to say, I didn't have time. I was busy. I was too tired. I had an issue. I wasn't smart enough to or anything, right? And they may be very good excuses. Then Hashem is going to go rewind on the video and say, oh, let's watch the Super Bowl game for four hours. Wait, you had time to watch the Super Bowl game for four hours? I thought you told me you didn't have time to study Torah. What happened? Right? Clearly, you had time for the Super Bowl game. What happened to it? Right? And then you go, right? Oh, wait a second. You spent $7,000 on a vacation to Florida? I thought you didn't have any money to give to the doctor, right? And he's going to show, he's going to show us in our own actions all the things that we contradict ourselves. And we all have this, and it's, it's just, to, to a certain extent, we have to just, um, right, it's, it just twists the whole, uh, the whole uh, philosophy of what we deal with life. And we go, wait a minute, right? This is very scary, right? So then, that's what it means, other than a din, other than a tchacha. Din means Hashem going to judge us for our affairs, for the things we did wrong. Right? Okay? is when Hashem shows us from the Averis themselves, he'll show us a rebuke on the other mitzvahs that we claimed we didn't have enough time for, or energy for, or money for. So the din is for the Averis itself, and the Techacha is for the other thing, and he'll take the same thing and he'll go use that as a symbol for the next thing that we didn't have time for. That's the idea of him doing Techacha. I had a title, and Dan's gonna give me a schmooze if I don't talk about my title, so I feel bad. I don't have, to, I don't, I didn't have, so I don't have so much time to talk about this. We were very late, but the there is a, a the title was was being grateful for life itself, and I was trying to speak about this to try to get it very quick. The the idea of life, right, is a fascinating idea, and Rav Shmuelovitz expands this many many times in many different areas. And he, does, he suggests it over here also. Yaakov Avinu goes and he meets Papa. Papa asks him, how old are you? Okay, strange question for a person, right? Especially if he's old, you don't ask an old person how old he is. Especially if he looks old, right? So the, the, he asks, how old are you, right? And what does Yaakov answer? My shanim, my years are ma'at, they're, ma'at means, um, Short, short is not the literal definition of the word ma'at. It's little, but it's called ma'at, short, and bad. Okay? Didn't really answer the question. The question is, how old are you, right? So, and then the Mepharsh and the Torah says that he gets punished for this. The same amount of words, I don't remember, words and letters. I think the amount of letters that, that were used in this pasuk were the amount of uh, years that he could taken off of his life. Okay? Um, he was supposed to get, live to the year 180. He was left to the year 135. So do the math. That's how many years. Okay. Question is, what was the big deal? What did he say wrong? And what was the question? What was the answer? So the question, the the the, the, the says that what happened was Yaakov, the Yosef, I'm sorry, Pari asked the question was, how old he? Why? He looks at him, and Yaakov looks very weathered. That's what the Dasikanim, one of the early commentators, says. He looks very weathered looks old and worn out. And he asks Yaakov, how old are you? Like, what, what was going on? And Yaakov, 
basically validates the question. He said, indeed, I had a very hard, troubled life. Okay? Medrash tells us that Hashem had a taina on, on Yaakov. What did Hashem tell Yaakov? Hashem says like this. Listen to this idea. We know from discussing the last many, many weeks, Yaakov indeed had a troubled life, right? He ran away from Esau. He was tormented by Lavan. He had a whole story with Dina, got kidnapped and got um, whatever, raped. And, and uh, Yosef was missing for 23 years. He had a really troubled life, right? So it seems like a very valid uh, answer, right? What does Hashem say? And the Medrash tells us Hashem says, why is Yaakov saying Ma'at Varayim? I don't understand. I saved Yaakov from Esau. I saved Yaakov from Lavan. I gave him back Zina. And I gave him back Yosef. He should be the happiest man alive, right? He's alive. He's happy. He's well. He's healthy. What is he busy complaining about? So does it. Obviously, on the obvious, on Yaakov's level, clearly, right? But the, the idea we see from here is a fascinating idea. Which is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a tiny Yaakov, so to speak, which is what we can learn out of this idea, learn out of the story, is that we have to be grateful for life itself. The life itself is the biggest bracha. Even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu took Yosef for 20 years, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him back itself was enough that Yaakov that was supposed to appreciate it so much. Yaakov, obviously we're not on that level, right? But to a certain extent, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes away, but he gives us back, we have to appreciate when he gives us back. And there's a famous saying, it's, 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 I don't know where I got it from, I heard it many times, and I, could be it's not even a Jewish saying. I heard it from a breast lover, but could be it's not even Jewish. And here's how it goes. Imagine if we would wake up every morning only with the things that we thanked Hashem for yesterday. Okay? Think about that for a moment, and we would probably wake up with not very much, okay? That's a very, I don't even believe it's a Jewish uh, saying. Could be, I think it's a, uh, some, I don't know, a fluffy uh, uh, a fl- philosopher that said it. But either way, it's a very, a very, very scary thought. Imagine we woke up tomorrow morning only with the things we thank Hashem for today. And we think about that, we wait, wait. Every single thing that Akash Hashem gives us, he gives us the brain, the eyes, thingy, and whatever is working, 99% of our life, 80%, whatever it is, is working properly. That's, that, that's every single thing we have, we deserve. We, everything we get, Hashem deserves to get, get, to, to get a thank you for. It's a very uh, uh, beautiful idea. And obviously, to take it on whichever level we're holding, obviously, it's a very uh, lofty level to take it to perfection. But whatever level we're holding, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful idea. And have a good Shabbos. Thank you so much for everyone for coming. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos.